All right, good morning. I tell you, that worship fired me up. How about you guys? That was awesome. Let's give God praise for that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, we are uh, starting a new series called Mind Grades. I'm going to get in a, in a second on why we named it that. Uh, but I'm going to start with a question. I'm going to ask you this. What do you think of when you hear the word opportunity? Opportunity. Now, yeah, let me use it in context a couple different ways. One is where it's a keyword or a disguise for a problem. You ever had that conversation? We don't have a problem. We have an opportunity. Yeah. So when COVID hit last year and we had to rethink how we were going to do church as a staff and an elder team, we were like, listen, it's not a problem. It's an opportunity. And it has been an opportunity to have a greater online presence to change how we're doing some things and think more missionally. We're going to get into that too. It's been a good opportunity for the church. How about give you another example? Uh, maybe you've heard it as a sales pitch, the word opportunity. Hey, listen, uh, I've got an amazing opportunity for you, and you can jump in on the ground floor. You ever heard that, that pitch? That happened to me years ago. I was working as an engineer. I was a volunteer in our church, working with a singles group, and then uh, they brought me on staff part-time uh, with the singles department, and our, and our singles pastor, uh, he said, I'm going to take you to lunch, man. I, I got some things I want to talk to you about. It's a really cool opportunity. I'm like, awesome. We're going to talk about the strategy and the vision for our singles ministry and how we're going to reach singles and make disciples and all this cool stuff, and, and we get there, and we go, to, we go to Crystal's. I mean, like he was really, he was really priming the pump. Took me to the crystals and, uh, you know, threw down, some, threw down some slimy burgers. They were great. But uh, he gets me to the table. He's like, all right, awesome. Here's this opportunity. He begins to tell me about this multi-layer marketing thing, whatever. And I was just like, no, that is not the opportunity I'm looking for. Because usually when they have an opportunity like that, it's really a great opportunity for them, not so much for you. But anyway, we're going to talk today about a legitimate, mind-blowing God idea opportunity in front of each one of us, and we can be a part of it. And to do so, we're going to do through do the teaching this series and today through through uh, some stories which were called parables in the New Testament, where Jesus, when he went to make a point to somebody, he would make a powerful point using a story, and it would just blow people's minds, and it would it would change their perspective on how they viewed themselves, how they that sort of uh, the idea of this series is we're going to have our minds and our thoughts and our perspectives challenged to see life the way God intended for us to see it. So we're going to jump into this first one and talk about a God opportunity. And it's found in Mark chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, you can follow along. It'll also be on the screens. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Here we go. It says, Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. Okay. So we know this is a story. A man planted a garden. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for it and a wine press, and then he built a tower. He did everything necessary. He set it up for success. That's everything you needed to run a, a prosperous uh, vineyard. And said, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he moved to another place. <clears throat> At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them the fruit of the vineyard, which was very natural. He owned the land. They got to work it and, and, and gather the fruits from it and benefit from it, but they owed him a portion of those fruits as payment for using his land. Very normal thing to do. It says this, But they seized him, the servant, and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then the master, he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, still another servant, and that one they killed. 
He sent many others. Some of them they beat and others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and then the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now I'm just curious, how many have read, if you've read through Mark, you've read that passage before and, and kind of wondered what it's all about. You've read that story though. You've read that parable before. Just read, show of hands. Okay, good number of you. How many of you have heard a message preached or taught on this parable? Just curious. Okay, not as many, but, but several. We're going to look today at what this means and how it applies to our life. And I want you to know right off the bat that this parable is a little different than most in that it is an allegory. And an allegory is where all the little details and all the different characters and all the different things in the parable have a specific meaning that add to the overall weight and story of the parable. But most parables that Jesus told only had one main idea. And all the, the details sort of lent to that one idea. But if you drill down too far and try to understand what all the little details and, and, and characters are, you might lose the meaning of the actual parable. In fact, you can interpret it, interpret it and become dangerous and come up with some really crazy ideas. But this parable is an allegory, and we're going to look at that together. So we need to figure out what this parable means, and we're going to start by doing uh, what we should do is say, who are these people? What, who are the main players and characters of the story? So let's look at them one at a time. First of all, we're going to look at the vineyard itself. Now, it's not a person, but the actual vineyard represents something, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the vineyard represents the people in the nation of Israel. Several times in the Old Testament, as you'll read through there, you'll see God call Israel his vineyard. In fact, one of those examples is in Isaiah chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 7. There's a beautiful passage. I'm going to just read chapter, uh, verse 7, but I encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's pretty clear. It says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Very clear, right? The vineyard is Israel, this nation that God chose starting with Abraham and they became a nation of people and they were its chosen people and he loved them and he had covenant with them. It's Israel is the vineyard. Secondly, you got to know uh, who the owner is. Now, let's all do this together. It's a great church answer. It, the owner and the master in this parable would be God, you got him. It's a Jesus story. That's it's God. He's the owner. He's the manager. He's the master. A lot of times in Jesus story, that's who that is. He's it's God. The next group we want to look at are the tenants. Who are these tenants that killed the servants and killed the son? I'm going to just go ahead and give it to you. These ones that were to work the land for the master is actually the religious leaders of the Jewish people. When Jesus had run-ins with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the elders and all these people that resisted his ministry... They weren't, just, uh, they weren't just giving Jesus a hard time. Literally for centuries, they were resisting the work of God. And we'll see that in just a second. The tenants, those are the, the religious, supposedly religious leaders of the Jewish people. Now the servants, I'm going to give you this one too, and then I'm going to give you a few verses. The servants 
are the prophets that God sent over the years to try to call the nation of Israel back to themselves when they would go worship other gods or, or not follow his commands. There were years they didn't even know about the law of God and they would discover and go, oh my gosh, we're not doing anything God told us. And he would send these prophets to try to draw them back to himself. There are 16 books, at least in the New Old Testament, where there's a name on them, right? The book is called a name like Daniel and Ezekiel and Obadiah and Micah and Malachi and all these people. And you go, who are these people? These were prophets. Prophets. And there's even more than the 16, but there's prophets that God would send and say, hey, listen, you're getting off track. I want you to come back to me. I'm asking you to be my people again. I want you to be my nation again. And so he sent his servants, the prophets. In fact, here's what it says in Jeremiah chapter 7. From, that, from the time your ancestors left Egypt, which is really the beginning of Israel becoming a nation. So at the very beginning, until now, now this is when Jesus arrives hundreds of years later, day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. That's literally what Jeremiah 7, um, let me get the verse right, it's Jeremiah seven twenty five. that's literally what it says, my servants, the prophets. So the servants, the tenants, I'm sorry, the servants that he sent, uh, the master sent, are the prophets. And then Jesus expounded on it in Matthew 23, and he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now that's the center of Jewish culture. That's where of Jewish uh, worship, that's where the temple was. That's where all these scribes, Pharisees, teachers of the law, that's where they lived. That's where they, that they worked. So when he says Jerusalem, he's talking about these Jewish leaders. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. I've, I've been wanting to draw you back to me. I want you to know me in relationship. I want to have this covenant with you that I am known by you and you know me and you worship me and you follow me and you have the benefits of knowing me and, and my blessing on your life. Will you come back to me? And yet Jesus said, they refused. They weren't willing. In fact, this is just a few examples, but they stoned the prophet Zechariah. They threw rocks at him till he died. They took uh, Isaiah and they sawed his body in half while he was alive. They took the prophet Jeremiah and they threw him in a deep cistern and they left him to starve until they deported him to Egypt to be away from him. Then John the Baptist, another prophet who came right before Jesus came, right just months before Jesus started his ministry, John's proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming, and it's time to turn back to the Lord. And he fell into the hands of Herod, and Herod had his head cut off. Kill the prophets, and you stone those who are sent to you. And you think, well, maybe it got better after that. It didn't. Jesus came on the scene, and, and of course, we know what they did to the son, right? They yelled, crucify him. We don't want him anymore. And then release a killer in our midst. Then Jesus be around. They killed the son. And then uh, Matthew, um, Matthew, Acts chapter 7, uh, a man named Stephen who said he was full of wisdom and faith and the Spirit of God. He hadn't done anybody any harm. He was just preaching the good news to these people, and they stoned Stephen to death. And then later, the New Testament says they killed James the Apostle, and they killed James the brother of Jesus. Over and over and over again, we see 
man, these, these tenants killed those sent to them. Lastly, there's another church answer. Who's the, who's the son? Who's the son? Everybody tell you, say it at the same time with me. It's, it's Jesus. Man, we're two for two. You guys really were confident about that. Well, I'm excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's Jesus. So he sends the son, right? And, and they kill him as well. Now, the one more we hadn't talked about is this other group. Did you notice that when he said, hey, you, you've been unfaithful to my tenants and I'll have to come in and he destroys the tenants and he says, I'm going to have to give this vineyard. This vineyard still needs care. This vineyard still needs to be upkept. I still need to have fruit produced for my vineyard. And so I've got to take this vineyard and I've got to give it to others. Do you know who others is? Yeah, somebody said the others is the church of the living God, this new movement that was starting. He says, listen, if you're not going to be my covenant people, if you're not going to be my witness to this world, then I'm going to have to raise up others called the church of Jesus Christ. And from Acts chapter 2 to today, you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are literally in this story, we're the others. That's you and I. He's saying, listen, I got, I got to give this to somebody. And he gave it to us his church. So now that we know kind of who the players are, let's put some of the pieces together and follow the plot. Let's follow the plot. First, we've got to understand the backstory. The backstory is simply this. God had done everything in his power to set up the Israelites for success. You know how the, the, the owner dug the well and he put the wall and he put everything in place? Man, God chose Israel as his beloved people. And he said, listen, I'm going to have a relationship with you and covenant with you. And I'm going to give this law to you. And he gave them the, 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 five, the books of the Bible, the first five books. And he gave them his law. He gave them a promise that as long as you follow me, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to give you this promised land. And you, it'll be rich and plentiful. You'll never run out of food. It's going to be awesome. He set them up for success. They were to follow God, worship God, obey his law. And not only that, that they were to be a light to the other nations. This is literally God's plan when he chose Israel. It wasn't like, I'm going to choose them and forget everybody else. No, you got to understand, when God chose Israel in the Old Testament to be his people, he literally picked them so that they could actually be a light. They would worship God so authentically and passionately and with gusto that then they would take what God, the goodness of God to all the other nations around them. If you don't believe me, let's look at Isaiah 42. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. He's talking to Israel. And I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I'll make you a covenant for the people and a light, a light to the Gentiles. A Gentile is anybody that isn't a Jew. Most of us are Gentiles, I would guess. He's saying, listen, I want you to be a light to the Gentile nations. You've got to shine me in front of them. There's darkness, there's paganism, there's lostness, there's pain, there's suffering. But you are my plan to bring my light to the rest of the world. That's a pretty good plan, isn't it? That's a great plan. God's plan was to reveal himself to everyone else through Israel. But then there became a problem problem. They failed to follow his commands. They failed to be a light to the other nations. And they got so distorted and off track for what they, they thought the message of God was that when he sent his prophets, they didn't want to listen to him. And when he sent his own son, they didn't even recognize him. Even though they had plenty of prophecies saying the Messiah was coming, they didn't even recognize him when he shows up. And instead of embracing God and his message and his messengers... 
They rejected them, beat them, mocked them, ignored them, and in some places killed them. Israel undoubtedly rejected the plan of God. They said, listen, that might have been your plan for us, God, but that's not our plan for us. So we need a hero, right? Let's talk about the hero. Next part of the plot is the hero, is the son, right? The son's going to fix everything. Jesus is going to show up, and he steps on the scene. And think about this. In his day, he starts opening the eyes of the blind. People that were, that were blind could then see, and people who couldn't hear could then hear. He opened the eyes of the blind. He set the captives free. He delivered his teachings in such a powerful way. He did signs and wonders and said, listen, you have to understand I'm God and I'm God's messenger. And he proved it by signs and wonders so that they would receive the message. He lived a perfect life. He demonstrated God's love to every person he met. There wasn't a single person that knew Jesus could say there was a blemish in his life or a problem in his past or he didn't treat me right or he wasn't good to me or he wasn't loving and patient and kind. He was perfect in every way to every single person. He lived a perfect life in front of all mankind. So how does the story end? Like the, the, the tenants recognize that and realize that the son is the living God and they turn from their wicked ways and they embrace the son, right? Wrong. Let's talk about the villains. The villains were the tenants, right? The tenants killed the son. Rejecting the son of the living God. Why? And they even said it, they talked about this inheritance. Here's what they thought. They thought the owner was dead. And because the owner was dead, the heir was the son. And if the son was gone, that means we could have the land for ourselves and we wouldn't have to pay tribute to them or listen to them or pay them anything. And we can just have the land to ourselves and do on the land whatever we want to do with the land. Motivated out of pride and greed, they kill the son. So here's the twist. It's the last part of the plot. The twist is the owner shows up. They didn't see this coming. They had no, they thought he was dead. And the owner shows up and he says, what am I going to do when I get there? I'm not going to be in a good mood when I arrive. There's going to be an issue and I'm coming to settle accounts with all my tenants for how they've treated my servants, my son, and my vineyard. The owner shows up. Now, let's get to the point, because every par parable has a point. I want to bring this home for us. There's a serious point God's trying to make here, that the church, the people of God, you and I, we have been given ownership to the vineyard of God, that you and I have been handed what is so precious and valuable to God, and we are to be good stewards of what he's handed to us. So let's break this down for a second. If you get handed a baby, somebody's little three-month-old, you cradle it, right? It's precious. You, you dare don't want to drop it in front of mama. You get claw marks. I mean, that's bad. So you cradle that baby. I know some of y'all hold a baby like, a, like it's a cobra. I mean, you're scared of them. But most of us cradle those suckers. And by the way, if you have a little one, I love holding them. You can bring them to me. I'll put a mask on. I don't care. I hold it. We love holding those little guys. They're precious. They're precious. How about if somebody hands you keys to a really expensive car? Anybody had that happen? Say, hey, move that for me, or you can drive my car, or you, you need to, you go ahead and drive this. Man, I have. 
You're scared to death. You're petrified. You look around the car everywhere before you get in. Is it clear? I mean, you care, You go way under the speed. You're just making sure you don't want to scratch. You don't want to dent. You don't want any problem when somebody's handing you an expensive car like that. We have been handed the vineyard of God. You know what that means? We have been handed the responsibility that the Israelites dropped has been handed to us. God has taken the baton, and when he said, listen, I want you to go and be a light to the Gentiles, Israel, and I want my fame and my glory and my, my power on display to all people so that they might know me and have a covenant relationship with me, you take that, and they dropped it. And God picks it up off the ground. He says, i got to have somebody carry the baton. I've got to have somebody be a light to the Gentiles. And he hands it to the church. He hands it to you, and he handed it to me. You're saying, what in the world are you doing with a baton, Rod? <laughs> I promise you I didn't run track. That doesn't surprise any of y'all, I know. I, didn't, I, I can't run. Anyway, I keep this on my desk at home because it is a reminder to me that somebody has handed me the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ has come into my life, and I have been a steward ever since of this glorious vineyard that the, the God, the living God, can be known, and he can be loved and worshiped, and one day we'll know him face to face like the Garden of Eden, and somebody gave me that great news, and I am to take the baton and pass it to others. Can I tell you something? You and I have been handed the baton. And I hope we're not sitting here today saying, man, I hope some other church out there takes that baton and runs with it and it becomes a light to the nations. No, no, not some other church, this church. And I hope we're not sitting here going, man, I sure hope there's some other people in this room that are going to take that serious and run with God's baton and this opportunity he's put in front of us. No, I pray you and I go, man, he's handing it to me. That's my baton. I am responsible for his vineyard. The people that God loves, the people that he died for are the people that I have been called to, that we have been called to be stewards of the nations. To take his life-giving love and message, the people who are desperate to know him. Let me just say this. God has handed us the opportunity to reach our world. He's handed it to us. It's a valuable, precious thing. He's given to the church. It's this mind-blowing opportunity. You and I are the church. And he's handed it to us. Makes me think of a story I heard um, where Jesus and Peter are talking in heaven. And before you think, I actually, I don't really think this happened, but it's, you know, go with me. And so Jesus goes down to earth, right? And he, he lives this perfect life we talked about. And then he, he takes your sin and my sin, the stuff that separates us from this holy God, and he took it upon himself on a cross. And everything we'd ever done wrong is paid for in a moment on the cross. And he, and he purchases a relationship now as possible with the living God. And he died in our place. He lay buried in the grave. He rose from the dead, defeating death, offering life to all who place their faith in him. He spends 40 days talking to his disciples and then he ascends up into heaven right before them and he gets up back up to heaven and he's standing at the pearly gates with Peter. And Peter's like, whoa, 
Jesus, that was awesome. I mean, you did miracles and you taught them all that cool stuff about God and you worked with those disciples and got them ready. And, uh, and then, you, of course, you died and you rose. From the dead. Jesus, that was awesome. But what is your plan to make sure everyone that ever is born from this moment forward hears about what you've done? He said, well, I gave that to my disciples and they're going to give it to the church and the church is going to be the steward of my message and my love to a lost world, the light from that day forward. He says, what? Really? Peter's, Peter's in shock. He says, well, what's plan B? And Jesus looks at him and says, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. We are the plan of God to reach this world with the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That is our mission at Crossroads. We've said it from day one. Our mission is to be disciples of Jesus and build other disciples of Jesus. We've never shied away from that. In fact, we're going to talk about that more because I forget that. How about you? Our mission as a church is to be authentic followers of Jesus Christ and to help other people become authentic followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Your mission and my life mission, I, you don't have to go to a seminar to find it. You can just read Matthew 22 and Matthew 28, and your life mission is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to build other followers of Jesus Christ. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's being a disciple. And to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them in the name of the Father. That's building disciples. I can promise you one thing. That is your God-given life mission. And the way we, you and I as a church and the way you and I as individuals are going to fulfill that mission is through missional small groups. And you say, what the heck are you talking about? What's a missional small group? <laughs> Our strategy here at Crossroads is simply this, is to get us together in small groups to accomplish God's mission. It's just what it sounds. And a small group that is functioning the way Jesus started his small group with those 12 disciples, here's what it does. They grow up in the relationship to their father. And through prayer and Bible study and things like that, scripture memory, they grow in this relationship with their heavenly father. We call that growing up. And then they take care of each other. When there's a problem, they're praying for each other and checking on each other and taking meals to each other and providing care. And that's called growing in in relationship towards one another. And then a missional small group does one other thing. They learn to grow out and they love people outside their circle and outside their church and they serve them and they show them the love of Jesus and they tell them about the love of Jesus and they grow out. That's what, that's what a missional small group is. And if you and I get a part of a group like that and start acting like that together, guess what? You will become a disciple and build other disciples and our church will become disciples and will build other disciples. Can I tell you something? Just honesty. We're pretty good at the first two parts, growing up and growing in. We, we're doing a pretty good job. If you're in a small group here, I think most of us would attest, man, I, I'm cared for and I'm growing and it's good. But I'll tell you one thing else. We have got to learn how to grow out. We have got to learn to get on mission together. We cannot sit in here and fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. We can't sit in our circles in this building or in our homes and think we're going to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. We can't wait for them to come to us. We have to go to them. You know what COVID taught us as a church? 
It just accentuated what we already knew. We can't wait. We got to go. We got to go to them. And so it's helping us to get back on track with what we said we were about from day one. You know what that requires? If we're going to be missional kind of groups and missional kind of people, that means we're missionaries. You ever thought of yourself that way? You're a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a missionary. And just because you didn't move across the ocean and, and sit in a, in a culture that you don't know the language and had to learn it, that just means God has you on mission right here. You're a missionary. Water the vineyard that God, this community you live in, you're a missionary. And you are to plant and water the vineyard that God has for you right here. The people that you know that I don't know, you can reach, I can't reach. You plant in the vineyard God's given you and the relationships he's given you that you and I can learn to be missionaries. And he says, listen, I'm giving you this baton. And you can drop it. You can say, I don't want it. Or you can grab it and say, I'm going to run my race. I'm going to stumble and fall. But when I fall, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to make sure I got this baton. And I'm going to keep running. Until everybody I know knows him. I'm going to keep running until every last breath I've let people know about the love of Jesus Christ. I'm going to run the race God has for me. I'm going to run it. I'm going to take up that baton. Can I just challenge two challenges as we wrap up? Two challenges. If you are not in a small group, one of our community groups, I'm going to be at the back table over the service, and there's cards. We can help you find a group today. I want, we want to help you find a group. Okay? And next week, we're going to do Connect to Crossroads, and we're going to hopefully start one, maybe two new groups out of that event next Sunday at lunch. And you can come next Sunday, and you can find a group that you can be a part of. We believe in this strategy. We believe that's what Jesus did, and that's what we ought to do, is get in groups together and go on mission together. So find a group if you're not in a group. Second challenge is if you are in a group and you're growing up and you're growing in, but you're not growing out, can I, can I just challenge you? You don't have to be the leader of that group. You can just go and say, hey, guys, what is our mission going to be? Hey, guys, what are we going to do to get out there and reach some people? What are we going to do that makes us a little bit uncomfortable, but when we get done doing it, we're going, oh, my gosh, that was the coolest thing we've ever done. I'm going to challenge you to make your small group missional. Last verse. This is the last verse of the, of the story there in Mark, Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> it says this, Then the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he, Jesus, had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and they went away. You know what had happened right before Mark chapter 12? Right before that, Jesus had gone into the temple and he saw them not worshiping God, but making money on each other. And so he started flipping over tables and driving people out with a whip. And he said, you're making my father's house a mockery and it's a house of prayer. And the, the, all the leaders, all the, uh, the, the, you know, the bad guys, they came up to them and said, listen, whose authority do you have to do these kind of things? Who, who gave you the right to do this? And in response, Jesus tells this parable. You know what he's saying? I have all authority. I'm the son. I'm the son of the owner. And I've come to settle accounts. And it, the time is now to get right with me. 
He says, I have all authority. You know what he told us in Matthew 28 when he said, go make disciples of all nations? That's verse 20. You know what he says in verse 19, I think it is? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's pretty much all of it, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You know what he's saying? All my authority, I give you authority. And you have everything you need to go make disciples. So go make them. With my power, my authority, I'll be in front of you, behind you, beside you, and in you. I won't let you down. If you step out and you begin to make disciples, I'm right there, and you'll have my authority to do it. You'll have everything you need. <laughs> it's a pretty good offer, isn't it? He's handing us the baton. He's like, what are you going to do? I got one other offer I want to tell you about before you get that offer. Because this is a great offer. You get to be a part of the work of God in this rescue mission of drawing people to the living God. And for eternity, you'll be basking in the joy of that. Eternity. But before God ever asks you to do something, you know what he's offering first? He says, I want you to know me. I'm going to offer you myself. I want you to know me like Adam and Eve knew me in the garden. You I want to have a relationship with you. And the sin that has been a barrier between you and a holy God has been removed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, he died for your sin. And the offer he makes is simply this. Listen, I've already paid the price for what you've done that has separated you from God. And I'm willing to do it for you if you will simply trust me. And put your faith in me, Jesus Christ, that my payment on the cross counts for you and you can be forgiven and you can be whole and you can know this heavenly Father that loves you. Will you receive that offer today? Let's pray. Listen, this morning, I believe God is offering himself to somebody in this room today. If you know him, pray for that person. He's like, I want to know you. Think about that. The living God, the creator God, the almighty God wants to know you. That means you have incredible value and infinite worth before the holy God. He laid down his life so you could know him. What does he ask for in response? Faith. He says, you can trust me. You can believe that that payment on the cross is sufficient, that I did everything necessary for you to know me. If you'll simply believe that. I just wonder if you're in this room and you've never received the offer of knowing God, today's the day. Just say yes to that. Say, just tell this in your own heart. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it quietly. Say, God, I want to know you. You tell him that. God, I want to know you. But I believe my sin has gotten in the way. I've done things that displease you. But I see today that Jesus can remove everything that keeps me from you. And so I invite him into my life. Tell him this, Jesus, will you forgive me? Because I want to know my Father in heaven. And Jesus, will you lead me? Tell him that. Jesus, I ask for you to lead me. Because I don't want to just know him someday in heaven. I want to know him today in my life. Listen, if you prayed that and you, you took up the offer and said, I want to know God in a personal way. You prayed that sincerely by faith. 
the living God now lives in you. And everything you've ever done wrong that offended God has been removed. You are clean. You are holy. You are his son and you're his daughter. Isn't that a great offer? What a great God. Now let me ask all of us this other offer to be a part of God's mission to the world. Let me ask it this way. What will the owner find the tenants doing when he comes back? What will God find Crossroads doing right here in this community when he comes back? Will we be doing his work? Those questions really rely on you and I. Will you and I decide that we will do our Father's work? If that's the desire of your heart today and you're saying, listen, God, I'm taking up my baton. And I never thought of myself as a missionary before, but today I'm taking that baton and saying, I will serve you. Send me right where I am. You tell him that. God, send me as your servant. God, send me as your missionary. I just want to pray a blessing over you and a blessing over our groups. God, you know the hearts of every person in this room. And those of us that are saying, man, we want to be your light to the world. Would you bless our efforts, God? We are powerless without you, but we are on this clarity, uh, power, and wisdom as we go out. And God, that we would be an unstoppable army that brings you lots of praise. God, I pray the same thing for our groups. God, motivate us and move us out of our circles into the lives of people that need you. And I pray your blessing of fruit in our lives. I pray your blessing of spiritual fruit uh, through our groups. And God, that there will be a throng, just a little piece of this throng in heaven. When we gather around your throne, there'll be a little bitty piece right there that's crossroads, this family. And we get to celebrate the people we got to bring with us there. We ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.